The name of this seminar is The End Time Biblical Calendar, Part 1 and Part 2. There is a biblical calendar, and we're going to see that. A calendar that was not known in Daniel's day, the Lord himself told Daniel that his book was sealed, that meant closed, the understanding of it wasn't available, until, he said, the time of the end. Well, we are living in the time of the end. The book of Daniel is not sealed, for those who are interested in seeing what it says, and it's very obvious. This seminar is for those who are serious about escaping hell and going to heaven. John Bunyan, how many of you heard of him? Everyone? Pilgrim's Progress? The best-selling book since 1681. The best-selling book in history except for the Bible. And it's never been out of print. It's still available. John Bunyan was taken to hell to see what it's like. And so have many other people. And they heard from people who were in hell, in their torment. Those people admitted they had not been serious about eternity. They took it lightly. And that caused them to enter into hell forever. In this seminar, we will see that and this might be hard for some of us to believe, but we'll see it when, by the time it's over. That within six years, everyone in this room will either be in heaven or in hell or in the midst of Armageddon. One of the three. It's the only three options, biblically. It's time to prepare for the end, don't you think? Doesn't matter how we have lived up to now, we still have some time to prepare. Not much, but a little. Hebrew pastors, I have a very sobering message for you. Most of Hebron's youth will end in hell because of the way they live. I felt this very strongly two or three weeks ago. And since then, three different leaders, respectable, reliable leaders in Hebron, totally unrelated one to the other, separated by thousands of miles, wrote me and said they had a dream. What was in the dream? Most of Hebron's youth will end in hell. 
They can't play with God. They can't pretend that they're Christians and expect to go to heaven. Pastors, we need to preach a lot more about hell because it's real. Jesus makes it clear over and over that it's real. There's real flames and it's eternal. What's that mean? Never ends. After a hundred billion years in hell, eternity has not even begun. It's a serious situation. And the Lord has put us here on this earth for whatever time we have, whether it's five, ten years, or eighty or ninety years, we're here for one main purpose, to show him where we want to spend eternity, and to prepare for that eternal destiny. That's the main purpose of life, not just to make a living, enjoy life, and buy something bigger all the time and better. No, it's to seek God, to know God, and to prepare for eternity. Amen. This world, and I want to say that there are a remnant of youth in Hebrew ministries who are tremendously precious. A remnant. Small group. They will be saved because of their love for the Lord and they have not chosen the pleasures of sin. They're choosing life, not death. It's terrible, awful. I've had a burden, not just recently, but for years for the youth of Hebron and the adults. The devil has so many attractions so many things that allure the flesh, so many things that seem so interesting and pleasant and, you know, surprising. So many. I don't know if I could have faced it when I was a youth. The temptations are overwhelming. That's one more reason why the youth can't play games with God. This isn't a game. It's hard to believe what they face. But too many of them are giving themselves to this world and its pleasures and cares and lusts. Something else, someone mentioned this, and I've, I've seen it before. It's, it's been manifested in Hebron. There are some people, maybe in this audience, that are in favor of the Islamic world and the Palestinians and those poor people, what they're suffering. They're, they're suffering an occupation of foreigners. Uh, is, the Israelis have no right to be there. And besides, their God is the same as our God. I'm sure many of you have heard that. If you believe that, you've already been deceived by the spirit of Antichrist. 
Their God is Satan himself. How many here know that about the number 666? You ever heard of it? Not too many have heard of it. Most of you, 666. Do you know what 666 is according to Revelation? It's the number of the name of the Antichrist, of the beast. And Islam, contrary to what God says, Islam says that 666 is the most holy name in the universe. And that the Christians have corrupted it. Why, of course. The, you might not understand what this means, but the number value of the name Mohammed in the biblical Greek is 666. And that's exactly what the Bible says in Revelation. The number of his name is 666. Islam is from the devil. They're the people that cut heads off. They killed 40 infants and chopped the heads off of many of them when they attacked in the name of their God. And I don't even pronounce his name because God says don't let their name enter into your mouth. The name of strange gods. The Jews didn't steal anything. You know who stole it? The Islamic world. There has never been a Palestinian people. Yasser Arafat, the founder of the Palestinian Liberation Army, back in the late 50s, early 60s, admitted there has never been a Palestinian people. It is an invention of Islam in their continued war against Israel. When, were, when was there ever a Palestinian people? It's a lie from the beginning. The Jews have lived in the Holy Land continuously since the days of Joshua. So why is it suddenly not their land? God says it's their land, and he decides who owns any square inch of property. Isn't that true? It's his land. It's his earth, the Bible says. And he said that land belongs to Israel, not to the Palestinians. By the way, the Palestinians... It's the Philip, uh, Philistines. That's the meaning of the word. They're Philistines. Yeah, okay, there was a Philistine people way back, but they didn't own the Holy Land. And what happened was in 1929 approximately when Islam realized that the Jews were planning to declare their nation again, they sent tens of thousands of Islamic people into the Holy Land to claim it and to say that they'd been there for generations. All of this is absolutely proven without any doubt. I, my wife and I lived there, we know about it, but also those who have been honest 
have written books about it. The huge lie that the Palestinian people is. They never existed. And so Islam is trying to take the Holy Land. And guess what? They're going to. We'll see that in this seminar. But if you think that Islam has the same God, you've already been deceived by the Antichrist. If you think that Islam is good and they cut heads off, they're nice, peaceful, peace-loving people, well, then you've been deceived. Deceived by the devil and the media that continually favors Islam and the Palestinians. Lord, help us. Amen. The battle that is occurring in Israel at this very moment, and Prime Minister Netanyahu said it's going to be a long war. He's right. It's going to go all the way to the end. Off, maybe off and on, maybe not. This could be the be- This is not the end, but it could be the beginning of the end. Islam tested the frontier, the borderline of the nation with only 30,000 men and an army. That was their total army, 30,000. And they killed, now the number is killed and wounded over 4,500 Israelis. And now the world is telling Israel, take it easy. You shouldn't go in there with, with all that force. I hope they don't listen. Netanyahu said, it's going to be the end of Hamas. We're going to put an end to them, and that is the right thing to do. He didn't say that, but it is the right thing to do. And I hope they don't listen to the world. Amen. But Luke 21.20 tells us that Jerusalem will be surrounded with armies, not just 30,000. All through the frontier, everywhere Israel has a border, they're going to be surrounded with armies, and they will fall. They're de- sudden destruction, the Bible says. In another place, one hour. In one hour, it's possible. People could have mocked that for generations, but now we know it's possible for them to eliminate a nation in one hour. And of course, Iran has many nuclear bombs. How do I know? Because I know how to make the bomb. I learned in my nuclear physics studies as a young man. I know what's involved. And for 10 years, the U.S. government has deceived the world, well, people that don't know how to make a bomb, saying every year, for 10 years, if we don't do something, Iran will have the bomb within a year. Then the year passes. And if we don't do something, Iran will have the bomb within a year. And if we don't do something, Iran will have the bomb within a year. 10 years of saying that same thing. Well, what's that mean? Well, they've got a lot of bombs. (laughs) They do. They've been enriching uranium for 10 years. 
and it only takes 114 pounds of enriched uranium to make a bomb. So they've been doing this for 10 years and they don't have 110 pounds. They probably have a ton or two. And they kicked out all the inspectors of their nuclear sites about three weeks ago. Why would they do that? Well, you don't want anyone watching you put together 114 pounds of uranium. They're going to know what you're doing. Amen? And they've said, if Israel marches into, Hamas, into Gaza, they basically are saying they will send the bomb. So we could be very, very near the end. One year and eight months ago, I gave the first part of this seminar. Not complete, but the first part. How many of you remember that I said at the end that I find it hard to believe that Israel can survive till 2026? Remember that? I still find it hard to believe that they can survive as a nation till 2026. And it's just by chance, I don't think it's by chance that here we are again and studying the, the f more complete doc uh, doctrinal issue of the calendar from the Bible right when the war is going on. It, it's not an accident. What I share in this seminar is based on many scriptures, and we have a lack of time, and so I'll give you one or two to support whatever I say, but there are a lot more in almost every single case. In this seminar, we will be looking at two parts. For many of you, quite a bit of part one will be a review. But much of part two will be given as added details to part one to give the message more clarity. I will also add at the end some details that were not included in part one. I want to share with you four keys. I only gave you two the last time. Four keys to understanding the end. Key number one is what Daniel discovered. And he really understood the end like no other prophet, almost for sure. The timing of the end is what I mean. And he said to his three fellow servants, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he said, let's ask God for mercy so that we will not perish with the rest of the wise men of Persia. Let's ask God for, or Babylon, let's ask God for mercy to show us the secret that will save our lives. It's a good prayer, isn't it? Mercy decides if we see anything. Mercy. And God shows mercy to the humble, and if we don't receive mercy, we will perish in the end. 
Amen. And instead of being so certain and sure of ourselves and sure of our position in Christ, let's take heed, as Paul tells us, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. If we're sure of ourselves, we're very unstable because the ones who are sure of themselves don't need mercy and won't receive mercy. Amen. He gives mercy to the contrite and humble ones, according to the Bible, according to him, according to his declaration. Also, Peter says, Therefore, brethren, give diligence, diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if, this is a big if, condition, if you do these things, you shall never fall. So we need to do these things that the Bible tells us we need to do to not fall. The second key to having understanding of the last days is found in 2 Peter 1.20. Knowing this first, so it's probably important, right? Peter says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. What does it mean, a private interpretation? Anytime you hear someone saying, this verse means, that's a private interpretation. You understand? Neither you, nor I, nor anyone else should be interested in what I think or you think a verse means. We should only be interested in what it truly says, not we, what we think it says. What does it say, period? And if you're not sure, if it's not clear, we don't base doctrine on verses that aren't clear. Amen? Private interpretations. For example, in the last days, A will occur, B will occur, and C will occur. What will you need for that to be true in your own heart, to be accepted by you? What will you need? Well, we should require a verse that says clearly in the last days A will occur. We should require a verse that clearly says in the last days B will occur. We should require C, a verse for C also, right? Because if we don't have the verses that say that, then it is private interpretation of Scripture. Are you following me? Do you agree? It's got to be in the Bible, not what I think is in the Bible. Not what I think the Bible is saying. No, what it is saying is what should interest us. Amen. And every, you know, the, even the ungodly in the world say, but everyone interprets the Bible differently. You know what? They're correct. They're right. And that is one of the major problems in the church today. 
It's one private interpretation after another after another. The whole end time doctrine that the church in general, 90% believes is nothing but private interpretation. We're going to see that. Every doctrine, not just about the end, but every doctrine about anything needs to be based on at least five clear scriptures. How do we know that? Because the Bible tells us where they come from. At the end of his ministry, after Jesus had risen from the dead, in Luke 24, he opened the, the uh, understanding of the apostles to doctrine, to truth. And he taught them from the law of Moses, the Psalms, and the prophets. That's what it says. So we should base our doctrine on the same three places. The law of Moses, the Psalms, and the prophets. And then should we base our doctrine on the one who says he's the truth? Of course, Jesus is the truth. So we should base our doctrine on his life and teaching, or teachings. Amen? So Jesus is the fourth base foundation. Got to have it in his teaching or don't believe it. And the fifth is Paul, by the Holy Spirit, wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16, that he was an example for everyone who would come after him. And he wrote basically all of the New Testament, the doctrinal part. And if Paul doesn't say it, don't believe it. You understand? Those five places. The Bible is very, very clear. The Bible shows us why Israel rejected their Messiah in the first coming. 90%, according to historians, of Israel rejected Jesus. Why? Because he didn't fit their private interpretations about what the Messiah would do. He didn't fit. Everything about him was different from what they believed would happen when he came. And they rejected it. You see it in the Bible. I'm not inventing it. We don't need the historic historians to tell us this. The Bible says in John, for example, the Jews said to the other Jews who were a little bit shaky about Jesus, they said, well, of course he's not the Messiah. Haven't you ever read the Bible, the scriptures? It's in John. Haven't you read the scriptures? He couldn't possibly be him. Yeah, read the scriptures according to their interpretations. Amen. Did, how many of you heard me say that one-third of the Bible is directly related to the last days? Quite a few. Do I have any proof for that? Well, first of all, evangelical theologians tell us that even. I think it's a little higher than one-third. But I'll stick with the theologians. I mean, I'll let them be the authority. One-third of the Bible 
is directly related to the last days. God wants us to understand the last days, don't you think? Why would he write that? Why would he give so much detail? And why do so many Christians see little, very little importance in understanding the end? I've talked to many people about the end, and I don't always bring it up, but people bring it up, and I don't know how many people, many Christians say, well, I'm not a pre-trib, post-trib, middle-trib, I'm a pan-millennialist. A pan-millennialist. By that I mean it's going to all pan out in the end. <laughs> and it doesn't matter to me how. Whew. What a dangerous attitude. God says it's real important to understand half one-third of my message to you is about the end and you're not interested and you're mocking my the importance I place on knowing the end? It might pan out all right, but not for that person. It's not going to pan out for the ignorant, the blind, the deaf, and those who do not love the truth. <clears throat> A third key to understanding the last days is the first thing Jesus said in the book of Revelation. Chapter 1 of Revelation, verse 8, he said, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord. He is the beginning, he is the ending, and he does not change. So what, the Bible says he doesn't change. So what does that tell us? We got some thinkers here, don't we? They must really be thinking hard. <laughs> Nobody's coming up with the answer. If he is the beginning, and he is the end, and he doesn't change, what's the message? How many would say, um, that must mean that the beginning and the ending are the same? Because it's a person. Yes or no? Is that, is that too profound? He's the, he is the beginning, he is the end, and he doesn't change. That means what he was in the beginning is what he is in the end. What he did in the beginning is what he does in the end. That's the way God works. He repeats that thought, by the way, in Revelation five times. It's a key to understanding the end. Look at the beginning. Go back to the beginning and see what he did, because that's what he's going to do in the end. Now I want to give you one, a fourth key that we didn't see before. In Isaiah 46.10, Isaiah says, Remember the former things. For I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning. To declare in the Hebrew means to reveal, to make known, or to tell. 
God revealed the end by means of the beginning. Because the end is a repeat of the beginning. What happened in the beginning happens in the end. That's what Isaiah says. That's what God says through him. But don't be confused. Some people are confused, in Hebrew especially, by Isaiah 43, 18, just three chapters before. And he says, remember not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Oh, Isaiah is contradicting himself. He says, don't remember the former, same phrase, don't remember the former things. And then he says, remember the former things. <clears throat> well, no, he's not contradicting himself. Chapter 43 is saying, don't even think about what happened in the beginning, because what's going to happen in the end, it's the same, but way more glorious. It doesn't even compare. And that's the fourth uh, secret. I want to read to you Ecclesiastes 7.8, written by the wisest man in history, Solomon. Here's the fourth key. Ecclesiastes 7.8. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. And as the Lord says throughout the Bible, the latter house will be much more glorious than the former house. The end will be much better than the beginning. And my people are going to do greater things than I did. Same kind of miracles, but much more powerful and glorious. In Hebron's Bible Institute, we have a whole week long, every day studying beginnings and endings in the Bible. And you can... Um, <clears throat> get that course if you would like the relationship between the beginning and end and history does repeat itself how many of you heard ever heard that history repeats itself it definitely repeats itself because it's his story and he doesn't change it okay so to save time we're going to give you only these few events as examples of beginning and end all right just real quick we want to get through all part one and two. One example is the beginning and end of Christ's life on the earth. When he was born, there was a Joseph, a Mary, a Herod, and a Simeon, all related to his birth. And when he came to the end of his life and his death, there was another Mary, another Joseph, another Herod, and another Simeon, all related to his death. In the New Testament, the very first name is David. And the last human name in the New Testament is, guess what? Can we guess it? <laughs> David. In 20, chapter 22, last chapter and almost the last verse, this, verse 16. Also, the word Genesis, the first book in the Bible, the beginning. Genesis means the beginning. And it still does in English. We say, well, what was the genesis of that problem? How many of you ever heard something like that? What was the genesis of that situation? 
It means the beginning. Genesis means the beginning. And the original transcript of the first book of the Bible was divided into ten sections, all starting with these are the beginnings. The beginnings of creation, the beginnings of Adam and Eve, the beginnings of uh, Seth, the, the garden, and so on. All of that, the beginnings. And it's no mystery, no surprise, that all of those truths in those ten beginnings are found in the book of Revelation. Amazing, no? No, it's not amazing. He, he's the beginning. He's the end. He's the first book of the Bible. He's the last book of the Bible. Amen. Now, we want to consider another example of the beginnings and endings. In the Old Testament period, it began with a Moses. He wrote the first five books. And Moses declared, this is what he said, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee of thy brethren like unto me, Unto him you shall hearken. Obviously, he's talking about the Lord Jesus. Deuteronomy 18, 15. He ends the Old Testament, the Lord does, in Malachi, the last chapter, talking about Moses. It's interesting, right? The first book in the Bible was written by Moses. Now, Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, talks very last verses Talk about Moses and Elijah. <clears throat> Hebrews 3, 5 and 6, verse 5 and 6, explains the significance of what Moses was saying. Hebrews says, And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after by Christ, obviously. You understand? Moses wasn't just some carnal man that came up with some good ideas. Let's see. Uh, Pharaoh's trying to kill me. So you know what? Pharaoh, he's the king of the greatest empire on the planet. You know what I think I'm going to do? I think I'm going to just flatten this empire. All by myself. Just destroy it. Just a, a man with good ideas. They're bad ones. <laughs> no, Moses was a man was, that was filled with the Lord. Don't you think? He didn't do any of that on his own. The Lord did it through him. Amen? Amen? The Lord Jesus Christ. Well, it was Christ before the Lord Jesus was born. But Christ did it through Moses. Well, let's see what happens. I want to look at you with you at how the Lord, through Moses, began the Old Testament, and how Jesus ended the Old Testament. Obviously, Christ began it. Don't you believe that? How many of you believe that Christ was the one that was working in the beginning? We all believe that? Okay. He, 
So he did what Moses, he was the one that did what Moses did. Then Christ ended the Old Testament, beginning, end. Shouldn't we expect that the end of the Old Testament was exactly the same as the beginning? Don't you think? How many of you think maybe that's true? Maybe 10 people here, huh? Is there any chance that the beginning of the Old Testament and the end is the same? Do you th think there's a chance? Well, we got more than 10. <laughs> Most people aren't real sure about it. Well, let's examine and see what the Bible tells us, not what we think. And we're going to give you char a chart real quick. I'm going to give you a chart with a comparison not on the screen yet, but we're going to hand out a printed chart. Can you raise your hand if you need a, would prefer a chart in English? Real quick. <clears throat> the English charts first, because this is an English course. <laughs> Can we get some more help to spread these around fast?